Hello, Sorensen Sound, and welcome to season two of the podcast. This episode, I wanted to talk a bit about diet culture and food and our relationships with food in general. Um, before we start, there's some, like, I, I have recommendations of media to watch or read um, that could kind of give you... This is my version of, like, citing sources, essentially. This is how I know most of what I know. So that's through shows like Rotten, which is on Netflix, and it just talks about how different foods in the industry come to be. The one that I remember the most vividly was about avocados, and I think it's one of the first episodes, if not the first. I was like, whoa, it's crazy. But it just shows you kind of, like, the supply chain, essentially, of fresh produce or, like, apparently fresh produce as such. Um, it's really cool if you want to know where things come from, know what you're putting into your body. But a lot of people, unfortunately, don't have the time to, um, take in information and kind of just have to blindly accept whatever food there is and hope that it's regulated well enough. And in the U.S., that's simply not the case. And that's why people always go to Europe or they go to Asia and they come back and then they're just like, they feel sick and, or why they can go abroad and suddenly like cheese doesn't hurt your stomach or bread doesn't like make you want to die um because it's just better regulated there and it's not as well regulated here just for the sake of like putting more out getting more you know the old capitalist shtick um and also people are this is my own thing this is my own little grudge (laughs) but if people are always sick specifically the people that can't afford to take the time to think about what they're eating then they just have to drown in debt forever and you just keep generating cycles of um, lack of income. And because you're sick, so you have to go to the hospital, you have to take medicine for heart diseases, for diabetes, for this, that, and the other thing. And there's also so many instances I could, oh my god, I could talk about this forever. Um, but like with food deserts, where people literally just have such limited access to food in a lot of poorer regions... Um, there's also like food swamps there's all of these other just um, structural forms of inequality in terms of how you can receive food and the kinds of relationships you're even allowed to have with it so just if you have the opportunity to learn more about your relationship with food and you aren't then like why not when you could help people that can't you know so that's my little selfish spiel <laughs> Anyway, more recommendations is um, Forks Over Knives. Uh, I liked a lot. The Invisible Vegan. It talks about how whitewashed veganism is. And also to clarify, I'm not currently a vegan, but I was for four or five years. Um, and, yeah, no, it just talks about how whitewashed it is and how damaging that can be as a means of writing off veganism or like demonizing it at the same time. So this instead focuses specifically on black people's relationship with veganism. And it's also just how, I can't remember, it's been a few years since I last watched it, but I can't remember if they go into this, but there is also just like a very big concept of how only having like white people at the, is like, I mean, just in general, but specifically at the, being the face of this can kind of negate like very traditional indigenous forms of veganism or just more plant-based lifestyles and it's also pretty common in vegan communities to like they just the white people in question tend to harp on like the wrong individuals they'll be like oh my god how could you hunt whales and it's like these people like even in like the Faroe Islands, the, the you use every single part of the whale. Like it's not there is no waste. It is a very respectful of the culture of like the not the culture but the ecosystems at hand. And like they know, it, the, the people that rely on the land aren't gonna waste what there is because like they need it to keep surviving because they're so. I mean, first. All, like rules of like land ownership have been imposed upon them and then they're then failed by the people that it's that have imposed it upon these groups so it's let people do what they want oh my god um 
specifically the people that I deem worthy. Ah, ha, ha. A joke. But it's making fun of my own statement. Um, not serious. Uh, <laughs> and then I really like Cowspiracy. Well, Cowspiracy is kind of mid. But there's a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of educational content about the environment and food has to be pretty tame and it can't be the most revolutionary because otherwise people just like won't believe it because it can become so far off from their perception of reality and then they'll just want to write it off as this other kind of media so you kind of just have to to like silent spring um where it's like a third of the book is just notes to other scientists that are very credible sources so there's some things like cowspiracy where it's like not as life-changing as i would as I wish it were, but it's because they just have to constantly back themselves up for anyone to believe them kind of thing. And it's sad, but it's how it goes. And I like Steve Spiracy. The guy's a little obnoxious and he's one of those like really self-righteous people. Um, and it's kind of sad how like this becomes an identity trait because I get that it's a way you live your life and so you want to identify with it so that you can continue to strive for that purpose but it becomes so highly moralized and there's like such perfectionist attitudes when it's like as much as individual choices and like educating yourself matters when it's not being done for you. It's still very much a structural structural problem. Um, like there's a whole very popular statistic where it's like 90% of waste comes from like the like Fortune 500 companies. And on the one hand, like, this can be difficult because people can write it off so easily if you even get to that stat and be like, oh, like, it's not my problem, like, it's not my fault, like, it's these companies. And it's like, yeah, but you're still, like, consuming. Like, it's kind of like how people are like, oh, my vote doesn't matter. And it's like, yeah, but if everyone thinks that way, then, you know. So it's about mindset and your mindset affects people around you, so you have more impact than you think. So that's why I'm someone where I'm just like, I like to live very close to my like values. And I hope that I can have conversations with the people around me if they so choose to. Like I very much will not bring it up. But for here, I guess. And that's that. <laughs> so I just feel like that kind of narrative of like, oh, it's not my problem it just kind of gives into this general sense of helplessness and negating or or ignorance honestly like willful ignorance at that point um that leads us to how rapidly climate change is getting worse even as more people are aware of it so just like change your attitude basically uh, <laughs> and then there's a book that i was recommended so i was vegetarian for a long time except sometimes I would eat chicken because my mom would make me because I swam when I was a picky eater as a kid <laughs> and she's like you need protein and you won't eat beans and she just didn't know a lot about education and thought like Nutrigrain bars are healthy even though they're pretty much just like sugar and but she tried her best and I think a lot of people like we're all just trying our best with the information we have but we just don't always have time to question what we're told um so yeah, but I was mostly vegetarian, and then in high late in high school, I went vegan because after swimming for eleven years, one of my like one of the best coaches I've had, he was vegan, and he recommended some books just because I asked. And the one that like stuck with me the most is called the China Study. It's also like the tagline's the most comprehensive study on health ever done, or something like that. Uh, and it's really cool. It just talks about um the benefits of a plant based diet of not eating processed foods. And again, lots, it's literally just analyzing different reputable studies in a single place. And it's great. I recommend it. But in the past uh, few months, just because I was traveling a lot, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be vegan anymore for a bit because I want to like try different foods in all these countries that I'm going to. And then I've had some health issues lately. So... um and it's not that veganism would be negative, but it's just easier for me to not think about what I'm eating. But 
again, at a certain point, I have to hold myself accountable <laughs> instead of just being like, oh, this is whatever. And it's similar to like, oh, I was in a car crash, so I can't work out too hard. But then at a certain point, you have to start working out hard. You can't like latch on to that forever. So I do want to go back to being vegan soon, but I'll probably just be slightly more flexible with it or just maybe not vegan when I travel kind of thing. Um, although I will say it is interesting and I guess it makes sense. I just hadn't thought of it before, but going reverting from veganism, I guess I still like my tendencies for like a quick meal will still be vegan just because I got used to making certain things, you know? So it's kind of nice to even just do like a little test run or to have a few go-to meals that are better for you and the environment. That's my shtick. Um, but I'm also guessing it's probably related to the fact that for the, f- I read Kitchen Confidential by Mr. Anthony Bourdain for the first time in like December 2021. And then I just got like pretty into food writing and just understanding people's relationships with food on the whole better. I just got The Gastronomical Me by MFK Fisher. I'm really excited to read it. I think she was a famous food writer in like the 1920s. But from what I understand, her stories are pretty, like, tender and very descriptive. And I'm just interested to see what that's like. Um, then another big one is David Chang. Him, uh, Chang and Bourdain, I believe, are pretty close friends. Um, but Chang made Momofugu in New York. Or that's, like, his most famous restaurant. And I had gone there a few years before, so it's kind of cool reading it and, like, hearing the story after. Like, I'd gone once without really a second thought. Um, just because I'd heard it was good, you know? <laughs> so it was cool to see the other side. Uh, but his book is called Go Eat a Peach. Um, but I also read that like a year ago. So if I get any titles or names wrong, my bad. Um, but you know, I just really have enjoyed, as someone with like a complicated history with food, because I have such a long history of eating disorders, like have had <laughs> like 10... I was first diagnosed with eating disorder when I was around 12, and it's changed shapes, changed forms in the year since. And also, um, I did a first take of this, and I don't remember if I said this in the second take, but this is like, this is talking about food, so it will probably be triggering content for anyone with disordered eating or an eating disorder, although I will never go into specifics of how to harm yourself, because I do view eating disorders as self-harm. Um, so I'll never go into like, specifics or amounts or anything but I will be commenting on the culture which in and of itself can be just like difficult for people to grapple with um so if that's you get out I don't want you here (laughs) but you you know your own mind so if it won't bother you then slay um (laughs) but yeah no so I just had like a history of eating disorders and veganism was something that really helps me, honestly, because it became a lot, I got into it for health reasons rather than for the animals necessarily, even though I was vegetarian just because like eating animals made me uncomfortable. Veganism was just like for the health element, although I know that there are eating disorders related to just like telling yourself it's because it's healthy. But for me, it was like, oh, I'm like making this food because I love myself, because I'm taking care of my health. Um, and it was just a way to treat myself better and it just really helped me not demonize food so much. And then when you're making food, it's a lot harder to count calories and then soon you kind of just forget about it and you're just listening to your body and you're just developing that relationship. And this one, this part's a little wooey, but at this point we should know that I'm, I love nature (laughs) and it's kind of cool and you don't eat processed foods and you watch a show like rotten and you just know where things are coming from and you can be like oh like part like i'm consuming the earth that's so cool it's a little dorky but to me that's such an exciting thought that it's like a way to be a part of the world even more so that's pretty fun in my 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 humble opinion So yeah, veganism helps me with my eating disorders and then getting into food writing and reading more from that kind of world helped me understand even more like how cool 
of concepts could be attached to food. And I, I've always been someone who like understands food as like an entry to culture and how so many people will be like, oh, like there's just so such a concentrate. Ah, so many ideas, but like crying in H Mart. There's such a connection from Michelle Zahner to her mother through food. And she's like, oh, I can remember her like walking through this aisle or thinking about this fish market. And it's just such a key part of culture. But to me, that's also that's still to do with nature, because so much of food is just based on what is like or a cuisine, if you will, what is a result of what is available in the region. Like what spices are there, what vegetables are there, what kind of animals are there. And that's literally like the terrain defines the cuisine. And that's so cool to me. And then that's, it's just more of that relationship with nature in a way. And you kind of just have to know where like, oh, where's this kind of garlic? Where's this, that, and this other herb? And yeah, so I think it's still just relates people's relationships with nature and even in a way that's not always like forefront of mind but becomes more apparent when you're looking at another cultures because you'll be like oh like we just don't even have this kind of pepper in the place where I'm from so it just like never would have occurred to the culinary culture um so super exciting food is so cool it makes me so happy and yeah it's such a lovely way to commune with others and to get to know them and they can have because it's a pretty unique sense that you're not accessing taste that is you're not accessing it all the time or even like sight and smell such a big part of it too the colors the aromas they all feed into the experience of that way if you're with a friend and you're having like a childhood dish of theirs they're going to be taken back to all the other moments that they've experienced the food and that's so hype and you can it's such uh like it can be oh and my favorite like concept of mine which is not original because i've heard someone since on tiktok say something similar but it's still just like i had just thought of it one day and then i'm just like oh i'm sure everyone thinks of this at some point but it's kind of although they didn't say it in this exact phrasing but it's like to me the first time you have a dish kind of becomes its platonic ideal and I think that's why so many people are like oh the way my grandpa or my mom makes this dish is the best way and it's not because it literally tastes the best but it's because that's what you've been like what you picture as the dish if you will and so it's just like oh like you can't get closer to it than this because this is how my family makes it and that's so cool. That's so exciting. And then even if you have the dish with someone and they're like, oh, like it's slightly different than to how my family makes it, then you it's still just like that additional insight through taste, through a different sense rather than something completely overt. And that's so hype. It's so cool. Food is so sick. Um, also, I wrote notes for this and I have completely abandoned them. And I'm working on forgiveness, but I do want to stick to this a little bit. But I guess I should, in the future, do a little introduction bit. Because uh, I was just like, oh, it'll be enough if I tell you why I wanted to talk about this, which I haven't even gotten to yet. Um, but no, I, especially with food, it's so exciting. It's so cool. And I eventually want to have, um, well, I want to have my own cafe. I will not spoil the concept because... No stealing my idea, because it's a great one. And I recently came up with an an addition to it. Um, But basically, I want to have a cafe. But there will be no food. It will just be drinks. Um, Especially, that's partially (laughs) something I learned working now in the restaurant service industry, specifically. Because I worked in an ice cream store that was also a cafe uh, previously. And... um, yeah, so just still very different. I hadn't read Bourdain yet. It's been a few years. And so now I can I can romanticize it differently, you know? <laughs> I watched the menu, <laughs> which I'll probably talk about later. But oh, where was this going? Oh yeah, no, so it's just very different working in a kitchen. And that was my really weak segue into the origin of why I wanted to talk 
about diet culture. Um, so basically today, I was working with someone that I don't work with a ton, and whenever we have worked together, like, we get along just fine, but we don't talk at all about anything, whereas with everyone else, I feel like we, there's always something to discuss, or we have just some things in common, or cared enough to, but today we were thinking about, or the brief conversation in general is just like, oh, people have such strange food orders sometimes. There's some people that will literally get, like, rice, shrimp, and no sauce. Like, that. that is what, the, and I'm, why not just make that at home at that point, you know? Uh, it, it just confuse, baffles me a bit. It's a little offensive, but at the same time, it's easy, so, you know. But it just feels a little sad putting that in a bowl. Anyway. <laughs> it's also so strange when adults, like, stay picky eaters. And then we'll recommend, we'll be like, this is what it, this is supposed to come with. Just try, like, one or two of them. And then they'll always come back and be like, oh my, like, that was so good. Thank you. And it just kind of shows that people, I guess that's the downside of that whole platonic ideal of food is just the very basic elementary things of childhood and you kind of want to stay in that with every meal and you don't want to be adventurous when maybe you feel like the rest of your life is up in a quish, up in the air. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's nice to provide a space where people feel comfortable enough to try new foods. Because I love trying new foods, but I get, as someone who is a formerly picky eater, I understand why that would not be the case. Although, I will say, my rule, my whole life has always been that I will try everything. And, honestly, veganism, again, it helped me with my relationship with food, but also it made me, like, I just had to be more open to things, because I was the kind of kid that only ate, like, cheese. Like, I ate fucking bricks of cheese. I also just loved chicken and rice. (laughs) I was the problem. And now I'm not. But then you can't just live off of rice, unfortunately. Um, And I couldn't eat chicken, so I just had to get used to a lot of vegetables. And I had to try so many things to figure out what I liked. Um, I will say that I'm someone who will eat plain firm tofu, like, as a snack on its own. Um, So I still have my quirks about me. But that's a secret. That's like depression meal. As I whip open the little plastic container, I use my little knife to cut open, and then I take little squares, and then, bam. And I'm like, it's protein. We're good. It's fine. Um, but you know, so you're just talking about how strange or like basic some people's ores could be, and he's like, yeah, sometimes people will be like keto and come in, and he was saying that he literally didn't know what to serve them. And I expanded upon this because I'm passionate about how strange keto appears to be I don't know enough about it I've looked it up once or twice and I just nothing clicked for me but all that I can ever like latch onto is the weird recipe videos that you'll sometimes see on your feed and I'm like why are they trying to target me with this because it'll be like two eggs as bread and then steak and cheese and they're like this is the epitome of health and I don't know how to explain that that is, that looks like a heart attack waiting to happen to even someone that was, didn't know nearly as much as I do about food. Um, <laughs> it just, just looks like a heart attack. And so that was kind of what we were talking about. And then he was finally excited. This is the first time we could finally engage. And I don't know why I hadn't thought about approaching a similar topic sooner. Because he's very clearly a gym bro. Like, he was, he's talks about his pre-workout, stuff like that. He tried a new one today. And we'll see how it goes, I guess. But, yeah. And I just hadn't thought to do that. Because I'm mom gym bro. So I've never been a part of that culture. And I can just kind of see it from the outside. And you kind of think, like, oh, like, the, they just go to the gym a lot. But no! It's like, like, today it finally clicked for me. Because he was like, after he was like, I think, I will say though, this, it, this is him. Um, because we were getting on about how like a lot of diets just in general are probably, like they tend to be all fads, they all tend to be trends and just probably not any single one of them is like good for you because you need a balance of foods 
and vitamins and minerals and you get that from different sources and so cutting out any one group probably isn't great (laughs) but he was like you know the one thing I think is interesting is that there's sometimes where just eating meat is really good for you and I was like no I didn't say this out loud of course because you know to each their own I guess um you it's your body you do what you want with it but it's just like I don't know and I think it's because food is such a personal relationship that that's why people will take food preferences so personally and why people will be like oh my god you're a disgusting human being you like pineapple on pizza and it's like who like I think that sounds gross but who gives a fuck and what other people eat and it's probably just because you want like you're like oh it's it's just such an intimate thing at the end of the day but, but I'm guessing that's why people get so worked up about it and then he was yeah and then he said the whole I think that we need to eat meat and I think sometimes it's good to only eat meat <laughs> I was just like did not say anything but I was in awe honey I was in tears and that's why I understood the Jimbo culture as a form of counterculture. It's because for a long time, I understood how common disordered eating was for people that go to the gym, specifically men, because it's the whole thing where, like, feminism is for everybody. The patriarchy, patriarchy is detrimental to literally everybody because there are still, like, unachievable standards for men, too. Ones that, like, I, like, I don't care. I, like, I don't get it. And it's just another thing where so much of what men do is for other men that, like, in a heterosexual or heteronormative, like, world. Like, me, as the the alleged consumer, I'm like, I cannot give less of a fuck if you had a six-pack. Like, I do not care about how muscular you are slay um you know like I was will always respect it and but it's like if I find you attractive I just find you attractive and it's not like because of this trait or the other they all add up to be you but if and if you want to like go on that journey while we're in a relationship then slay again regardless of gender bro gym bro is just kind of like the culture typically masculine or typically men rather um but you, there's such intense limits on what you can eat or forcing yourself to eat when you don't want to, when it's uncomfortable, when it's, like, to the point of detriment on your body when it's just breaking you down instead of actually making you feel good or capable in your day-to-day. And it becomes so obsessive. And to, <laughs> willing to be like, no, I have a healthy relationship with food because I look the way I want to. Like, no! That's that's not how that works. To only eat meat because uh, um, some guy, I'm guessing, you saw that look good, did it? You're a different person. You have a different body. Different things are going to work for you. And it's also really hard for me not to cite the China study, so I'm going to do it. But, so one of the, like, brutal things about World War II, but crazy things in terms of, like, understanding health at a younger age was there is... For science, like, a very large disposal, or World War One or World War Two, I don't remember which one. I mean, both, effectively. Um, but you, the thing about war is, like, there's so many bodies for science. You can understand the, what people, young men at that time, who are supposed to be in their peak physical form. These are, like, 24-year-old guys that have been, like, they're army training camps. They're eating what they're supposed to, even though they're, it's, like, rationed. But it, it was, they're eating, like, however many ounces of steak, however much of this or that. And whenever the science people went to analyze all these bodies, they realized that if these men who were in their prime were to have lived longer, they would have died. It was some crazy number, like some vast majority would have died of a heart attack by 40 uh, with that diet. And it's just like common knowledge that too much red meat isn't great for your heart and everything. Um... And so it's, like, it just is such a scary thought um, that it could just lead to such general pain woo, and health problems. And I think even more than people who don't have the time to question health, if it's so socially charged in this way, where it's just so deeply steeped in receiving 
approval from your bros being like, oh, dude, you look so big today, you know, then it's like you're you're never going to even want to question what you're doing, because if it's making you bigger, never mind if getting bigger is actually a, a healthy thing or not, then or small, like if changing your body drastically in any direction, it's then the health isn't the question. You're not going to want to change it if you're getting praise. Um, let alone if you have the time, because clearly if you're engaging in that, then you, you're willing to make the time, if nothing else. Um, yeah, so it's kind of crazy, but going back to, like, what people order at the restaurant, it's kind of interesting because, so when I was younger, I, in Chicago, every time there was an election, I'd help run the booths, and I'd always guess, I'd look at someone and, like, then I would do their voter registration stuff, but I could always guess if they were going to be Republican or Democrat, like, I always knew who they were going to vote for, and it became a fun little game, and I was almost never wrong, and it's become a game at their chance to, like, guess what someone's going to order based on, like, who they are, and then it's also, it's just so interesting how that connects, but sometimes it'll be unexpected, um, and, when it's unexpected, it can be almost, like, sad to me, um, because you can kind of guess how people are, like, concerned about their appearance in one way or the other, um, so if it's, like, someone that, like, is, like, heavier and they're, like, eating almost nothing, then you know it's just because they feel as though they've, like, there's some, I mean, maybe they do just like it, not gonna, like, knock that, but I've just read so many accounts of people like, yeah, I just feel, like, so judged for eating anything in public because of my, and that's, like, that's so sad, or it'll be, like, this grown-ass man having the rice and some protein because maybe he's scared of that, like, ingredients are frilly, and, like, that's why sometimes we have to, like, be like, it's, like, do you want to try this? Like, it's a, it's not frilly. It's the craziest thing when people say no sauce for something, though. I'm like, you just want dry-ass food. I'm just judging you at that point. And I'm not explaining it or articulating it well, but it's because I haven't been there long enough to really dive into it. But just a base of just something to note is people's eating habits are, like I said, they're just so personal and you can can either tell a lot or you can wonder a lot and there's just so much information that maybe you want to consider at face value and yeah it's also fun when people kind of it's okay so really quickly working at a Vietnamese restaurant in the south is interesting because we have things like kimchi and we have avocado and there's some t- avocado I feel like has just become like an expectation for every restaurant in the U.S. at this point, <laughs> like regardless of cuisine, regardless of whatever. It's just like, do you have avocado? And it's kind of crazy if you don't. And also because this is the South, because there's not a lot of Asian restaurants, specifically Korean restaurants, a lot of Asian restaurants are just people, specifically white people. But in just in general, there's, like, this kind of not super aware mindset here where they'll be like, oh, this is an Asian restaurant. Surely they must have every Asian product. And it just kind of becomes, like, inadvertent. It's not at all fusion, but it has to, like, lend elements of other things just to meet expectations in a very strange way. Um, yeah, but the kimchi's good. But it's just, like, uh, it's from H Mart. It's like the country style kimchi, you know? It's just a really popular one just in like every H Mart. That's good. That's fire. Um so you know, we benefit, I guess. Uh that I'm looking at my notes. So the origin is of working in a kitchen, co-worker's name, Jimbro in keto meat only diet um that he felt safe enough to finally connect because what i guess i also didn't understand about the gym bro kind of identity and why so many of them seem to have like no personality i think it's because they'll always feel so deeply misunderstood because it seems like such a basic identity or like base level thing that, that there's not a lot to it 
that if you know even the slightest bit, then it's kind of that gateway to them feeling safe to talk about this thing that becomes metaphor for so many other aspects of life and of worth. And it becomes also an entry point for discussion around ideas of hyper-masculinity. And that, again, goes back into, like, who are you doing this for? Is it just for other men? And jokingly, that's kind of gay of you. (laughs) Kind of gay to do everything ever for other men. Um, Even, I think I talked about this, but no, I definitely did. But there's the one post where it's like, so many men just tolerate a hot, like, conventionally attractive woman. And just to be like to their bros, like, I beg this one. That's so crazy. You're gonna, because <laughs> at that point, you're just in a relationship with your friends. Um, but like a romantic one, you know? That's so wild to me. Um, but yeah, also just like how common disordered eating is. And it's good to take care of yourself and to take the time and the interest. But when you, with any element of counterculture, where I think it's, I think I'm the poster child for going against the grain a little bit, for questioning things, for making up your own values as you go along. And because like nothing has inherent meaning, so build it for yourself. And that's probably what will make you happier if you're someone who's just always felt a little bit out of place, a little bit out of odds or something like that. But for these people, when you're going against the grain, there's no like, gauging of when you've gone really far or not, um, and I hesitate to say too far, because that's such a personal and, like, loaded thing of, it's like, oh, now you're doing this thing wrong, when it was never about doing it right to to start with, um, but I can, it's just interesting how they can be perceived as, like, the most, like, this coworker is, like, conventionally attractive, like, white man who's, like, doing all right in life. Um, But then it's just this super, like, counterculture, this extremely, like, antisocial in, like, the the more clinical term, where it's just a very individualistic approach that consumes your life that's just as extreme, maybe controversially, as, like, being a punk in its heyday or anything like that um so just interesting i'm gonna pause because i'm losing my train of thought it's really hard for me to follow this at all so i had reordered my notes to try and make it make more sense but now that i'm looking at them again it would have made sense if i just went in the order that i wanted um but that's okay Because I have a note that I was saving for last about foregoing ego in the kitchen. But because I did my whole little intro, I could have talked about foregoing ego in the kitchen initially. And this is not a dynamic I've explored, but so my boss works on the same shift with me a lot, or like the owner um, works with me a lot. Today, the guy that I've been referencing this whole time, he's um, the manager, um, but he's not there as often. So, but my boss shows sometimes like, I'll be in the middle of doing something or I'll dust in something and I'm like doing something else while I'm waiting for it. And then they'll like tell you again. And it takes everything in me to not like keep like be like, but I did that because I want to like, uh, like fight for myself. Like in day to day life, especially as like being perceived as a woman where people are like telling you to do things you've already done. And that's the most agitating thing. There's a whole trope or like in memes or whatever where people are like, oh my god, my parents told me to clean, but I was already going to clean and now I don't want to. Um, and you kind of just have to like get over that because they're just like overseeing their kitchen. And especially when you're the owner, like that restaurant, like every little part of it is like in a complete extension of your mind and your day to day life. And you kind of just have to accept that like they're just trying it's more for them than it is for you to say something like that because whether you confirm or don't confirm that that thing has been done just gives them more information to go off of and continue but at the same time there's like or it'll be like oh you put too much of this thing and I'll be like yeah but sometimes 
like sometimes you have to have a degree of trust and kind of let go of parts even if you know all the moving pieces because I'll be like there's a lot because they asked for extra and then she'll be like oh okay and then it just kind of like takes time away and I get that I also haven't been working there that long but she does that to even people that work there a long time and can get a little bit like over just like a little controlling with things and I again I get it because that's like your life that's an extension of self to such a large degree um but still like sometimes you gotta let the parts do their parts their their work gotta let the gears gear a bit (laughs) um so yeah but also going back to Bourdain and the menu a little bit um, I, like, I'm, like, fine, like, I take a little bit of, like, I take pride working at my little, little Vietnamese restaurant. I'm like, yeah, I have fun. This is, this is how I learned to do my cafe. This is my training. This is my boot camp. Um, and I do think about my cafe a lot now just because I'll be like, oh, like, I would do things this way or this way. And so I feel like there's a certain honor that comes with it and with the, like, the little bit of pride. Like, I will always take the time to, like, clean the kitchen as I go. Like, if I make, like, a smoothie or this drink or that drink and I've used the equipment, like, I will immediately clean everything and put it back because, like, I respect the order and I want to make sure that it, like, lives up to the vision which has built it and everything. Because it is such a, like, the place is really, like, cute. Like, I, it's quite good energy. Um... So yeah, but then in reference to my cafe pursuits, um, I was like, because I start in the kitchen, like the guy on the menu did, and I want to, like, my cafe is going to have a concept, and this little addition is going to have a concept, I don't ever want that to not be, like, an accessible thing. I don't want this to be something where people that don't have the time to care about food as extracurricular to feel disconnected I don't want it to be like oh this cafe is pretentious like when you walk in but I do want it to be something that you take time out of your day to go to the cafe and like care about the concept so kind of finding that balance between like a pretentious level of art that's not like doing anything but then again like who's to say what that is um and staying true to like it's a simple concept that's reasonable to most people. But what does that mean? So that's crazy. And fun. So, yeah. Like, I don't want any cult following fans. I just want to do my thing and have fun with it. And it's kind of hard to talk about without telling you my concept. But I'm... I believe, as we go over time and time again, in the evil eye... So, I'm not saying shit. I've told a handful of people about my cafe idea. And it's not going to be any more. So yeah, just the whole, how accessible is having a vision at times? And how do you make your vision accessible? Maybe even more importantly than that. Because if you allow people to, if you allow people in, then it allows them in on a certain way of thinking. And it's cool. And you give tools to people the fish instead of giving them the trout you know <laughs> that that old saying um so yeah oh I had just remembered something I wanted to say and I really forgot it that sucks but anyway this little tidbit this little fun fact I'll include that I hadn't I don't know how I wanted to work it in when I first wrote this down but there's this old-timey lady. I'm pretty sure she became a saint. Her name is Hildegard von Bingen. Um, she was born in 1098, somewhere in Germany. Um, and this is something to preface. Uh, something that Greta Gerwig did a good job talking, or always referencing whenever she was talking about the production of Little Women and like a modern translation of any historical work, is that it can become very easy to put like, modern concepts onto the past that just didn't exist, like, they were not culturally relevant, and you could be like, oh, but it's, like, you can analyze it this way, but it's, like, no, like, that's literally not, 
like it just wouldn't mean anything and so there's like no intent and maybe in like if you were modernizing a piece maybe you could do something like that and you could be like oh this would be like if the author lived in this time but it just becomes so historically inaccurate to put certain boundaries on it but anyway von bingen she was known for making all sorts of like very cool remedies (laughs) if you will um just like from the different plants that grew around germany or anything she could get her hands on and she would experiment with them um sometimes to the detriment of her body but not really but she ate very little and just always was so in tune with it and she'd be like oh this makes you less sad like this food makes you happy and it's like how people like spicy food makes we now know like more of the science behind it where like spicy food creates endorphins so you are happier when you eat spicy food chemically but she just did it completely based on the vibes and it's really cool um and i think it'd be fun if more people took that kind of approach to food if you will where it's just about the vibes you know um the vibes every day for me now i just want bun me all the fucking time (laughs) which i thought i would get sick of it from having vietnamese food all the time but no i just want just want bun me more often but i think that's kind of this could be complete bullshit but i think it's kind of well i know it's not but i just don't know the exact science and i don't know how to cite it super properly um but it's like how it takes 30 days to develop a new habit but then your taste buds also change or will be completely swapped out every seven years and so your tastes just gradually change and you can like train yourself to crave things essentially because there's um so it's like if you're lacking magnesium you might want like dark chocolate but instead of that you could have like something high in antioxidants i think like blueberries or raspberries so it'll just be like if you're craving a food it's because what it's what your body knows will provide you a certain nutrient if that makes sense so it's like if you've only ever had like super processed junk food then that's what your body's going to crave but you're not actually craving the food you're craving some nutrient that your body derives from it that you don't know how to like pick apart (laughs) you're like oh i need some sodium right now like you're not really gonna know that you know um but you could be like oh like i really want like salt and vinegar chips so it's that kind of concept if you will and if you just start trying new cuisines and like expanding your palate then you'll crave more different foods and potentially healthier foods because you've retrained your body will then like crave a healthier food for that version of the nutrients that it's seeking and this goes back to the gut microbiome which i haven't introduced here but i just think about it a lot so that's why we're going back to it i love the gut microbiome she's so fun she's so cool oh my god but it's also so the gut microbiome is just like it developed it's one of the first things that develops when you're in the womb because like obviously your parent like whatever food they eat gets transferred to you and that's how you grow in the womb and so your body like that's when it's first developing like all of it this like bacteria that stays in the gut and then it registers like what you crave the kind of foods you like and that's why a lot of times whatever your parent um ate when they were pregnant with you will um be a food that you like a lot or it'll be like if that if they like spicy food a lot then you'll like spicy food that kind of thing um very interesting not to put pressure on any pregnant people out there but what you eat that child's gonna crave so and that's part of why the pregnancy cravings can be so strange is that it's like oh i just really want this nutrient and just then the receptors get all funky wee woo wee woo um (laughs) but oh boy oh yeah so just kind of training the gut microbiome essentially to crave things in other ways even if there's this natural thing and that's that's yeah i won't won't get into what i was gonna say actually but it was just more related no 
No, I can let things go. I don't have to engage with everything. Um, but what I was going to say is something that's been stressful as fuck lately on social media is everyone talking about how to like balance your gut hormones, which is like they're doing it in the name of health, but that it's literally so stress. People are like, oh my God, specifically about cortisol, which is related to stress. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure these videos are just upping my cortisol. So like your body's under so much stress. These hormones do this. This makes you bloated. And it's like, if you don't eat first thing in the morning, if you don't eat this exact thing, and it's just so restricting. <laughs> and it's so crazy that this is all, and that's how, like, things like orthorexia, that's the, like, really health-conscious eating disorder happen. Because people are like, oh, I'm doing this in the name of health. And it's like, I'm pretty sure this makes you feel worse. Like, I'm pretty sure being this freaked out all the time. And it's one thing to be like, oh, like, I should eat, like, vegetables today. Like, that's one thing. Like, I should eat this, like, food group. But being so, such intense micromanagement, you're just not living your life. And personally, whenever I'm really stressed out about food, I just will not digest properly. And it's brutal. And then everything just gets worse for everyone around. Um, but yeah, no, food and stress in me. It's crazy. But we don't even talk about that. But that's been wild. So the gut, like, it's a important but most people are not going to have any severe gut hormone imbalances unless you have like eating disorders in which case this is only going to worsen that it's only if you like deprive yourself so fully of things that it could possibly get out of whack and present as like any kind of I think there's specifically one I'm I wish I knew the exact name and maybe I should have licked it up but that's okay but there's one thing that people keep diagnosing themselves with that specifically allows them to take things that make them not bloated, which is just, like, losing water weight and shit, which is, that's always what comes back around. It's like, you want to lose weight fast? Water weight pills. And it's like, that's not going to actually do anything. Because it make you dehydrated and potentially very sick. Um, but I also realize because I'm not, I, this is one of those things where I presume people have a base level of like knowledge of the same things I do, and that's why I let off with the recommendations, but I talk a little fast. And it's kind of difficult, so I'm sorry. But it's like a sugar imbalance in the gut, or it'll be like overproduction of some kind of sugars or yeast or something. And that's why it gets funky, and then they take these things, then they de-bloat, but then this strange and we're not doctors and some people are like it's kind of become like radical acceptance of self-diagnosing of like diseases so like oh i was ignored by doctors for so long and like that is a very real problem like doctors statistically just ignore women specifically women of color and it's just leads to an egregious number of deaths specifically still in childbirth it is insane um Again, like, from, like, U.S. stats, even. So, it's, like, that is a very real problem, but the answer isn't to just, like, promote eating disorders and stress people out. Um, But it's also interesting, because then eating disorders can kind of become, like, a class privilege. Because, like I said, with the gym bros, or just with any eating disorder, you have to have the time or make the time to think about this food you're consuming every day. But then it goes back to the thing I was talking about with class where it can become a very middle class kind of problem where it's like, if you were rich enough, you wouldn't have to worry about this. You could have someone else think about it for you. Um, so it kind of then you, because it even sort of becomes like a mental illness, like it just alters your brain and then you're kind of stuck with it and it's in to circles which I have been diagnosed by my psychotherapist thanks thanks girl um like if you have an eating disorder they say you're always in recovery because it's kind of like addiction in that like you'll always be an addict you just it's just not active you know um so then you're kind of stuck with it and you're kind of fucked um and honestly, like, the prefrontal cortex, like, stopping developing at 25 was part of what pushed me so hard to, like, not, to be in actual remission from eating disorders and not, like, telling myself I was when I knew I wasn't. 
Um, but what is she? Oh yeah, no, it just becomes a class thing, and then it keeps you in your class, and it, then it's just another, just another little burden. Woo. So, so fun. Food is crazy. It's cool though. <laughs> I still never quite remembered what I wanted to say. But isn't that the way of the world? I'm gonna go on a little walk now. Can you imagine if I tried to do this while walking? That would have been insane. So yeah, basically my advice is worry less about food. Educate yourself. And know where the food comes from, I guess, question mark. And this is so fun to think about food as like communicating with nature. Being like, oh my god, this tree, my salad could be your cousin. You know, it's fun. It's a good time, personally. Okay, <laughs> I'll shut up because, uh, you know, I tried. I forgive myself for this being very roundabout because still getting used to the format. Um, but I will not use that as a crutch. And that is why I'm pushing myself to have more structure. Thank you for listening. Um, a little update about me is just because I do still want to do the little check-ins. Um, I feel like I've been taking pretty good care of myself the past few days. Been going on the walks, been working out. I really didn't want to last night, but I did. Did a little YouTube video because I thought it'd be fun to like connect the visual elements that I talk about a lot here. Um, with video and just see if I could get used to even in shorter form. And I was still so dominated by talking now that I, time has kind of gotten funky with this, where I feel like no time has passed and then it's been an hour. Because um, it's just me externalizing my inner monologue for however long the podcast runs for. And so I'm like, oh, no time has passed because it doesn't even quite feel like an activity in some ways. And that's how it is with writing as well. Because I just kind of always know what I want to say. And, yeah. It's a good time. But it'll get better. And I'll keep pushing. And I'll push myself today in the gym. But it's almost, I'm going to chill out for a little bit more. And then just go for a proper walk and lift sesh. Um after chilling out for a bit more because I usually will come and just kind of have to oh this is something I did want to say this is unrelated to the other stuff but I'll just count it as part of my update is what I was saying I think yesterday um in the outtakes podcast um where I feel like in some ways walking which once gave me respite has become a bit of a chore reminds me of the Murakami quote where he said sometimes you just have to do like routine for routine's sake and the color suku or tzatziki in his years of pilgrimage um but to me it's like you have to keep like hold up your framework on even when it feels a bit meaningless and also in the show twenty five twenty one, she talks about how at uh, nahido the character main character she talks about how like in sports it's kind of like stairs where it's like oh you'll have this like plateau and we talked about plateaus in swimming all the time, but you'll hit a plateau and then you'll like have to keep working through it. And then some, one day suddenly like everything will click and you'll have like an immediate like shoot up and then you'll plateau and you think you aren't growing. But in reality, you are like building, stepping, it's like step stools. <laughs> and it's kind of like that with your everyday routines. Like you, if you're really fueled, you're like, oh, like I really want this for myself. I'm going to make my routine look like this. I think people fall out of it because they aren't motivated all the time. But that's the thing about a routine you build is that it then becomes an indicator for the meaning which you've given. And so you have to keep participating until you find that drive again. And then you're like, oh, like there's these small things that I'd like to do differently. And then at the end of it, you become like every day, you just become more aligned with yourself, even on the days where you aren't feeling it. 
So I haven't been feeling the walks lately, but I know it's still important to me because it was important to me that's just not here necessarily, but I still owe it to her, owe it to myself. And that's why you kind of have to like love yourself and care about yourself in order to keep these things up. But it's it can become a vicious cycle because if you don't care, then you're not going to do the cycle. But if you don't do the cycle, like if you don't participate in your routines, then how are you ever going to like trust yourself enough to care kind of thing? So on the days when you can push yourself, push yourself. And that's why trying your best looks different every day. But now this is my little step stool up because I felt like putting in more effort today. Maybe it'll plateau for this season, but I'll keep like this little be my more effort so yeah but now where am I gonna say all my silly little thoughts to I don't know but I'm also hoping that this can be a form of curation for my thoughts and then I can participate more deeply in worlds which I'm intrigued by and I can put more effort into this research instead of only living life with silly little thoughts you know because that's what my writing normally does so I could have another outlet for that that to me I'll have a new concept of it not being as difficult or less barriers to entry. Even though I love writing, and I don't actually think it's difficult. I just know it takes a lot of time. And this takes time. But I don't edit it. And I won't. I love you. Bye. <laughs>